Chapter Fifteen of the Albert Gate Mystery by Louis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Caroline. Chapter Fifteen. Marie. Marseille is one of the most picturesque cities in the world. Its streets cluster around an ancient harbour, famous before history was writ, or climb the side of steep hills enclosing a land-locked bay. In the suburbs Marseille is modern enough, but the chief thoroughfare, known to all who read, the famous and ever-busy Canebière, plunges rapidly downhill until it empties itself on the crowded quays that surround the old port. With the newer Marseilles of the Joliette, well found in wharfs and warehouses, steam cranes and railway lines, the town beloved of the Phoenicians has no concern. There is no touch of modern ugliness in the tiny maritime refuge, which is barely half the size of the Serpentine. Lofty, old-fashioned, half-ruined houses thrown close to its rugged quays. At night this quarter of the turbulent city wears an air of intense mystery. The side streets are narrow and tortuous. Dark courts and alleys twist in every conceivable direction, whilst the brightness of many wine-shops facing each other across the tideless harbour only serves to enhance the squalid gloom that forms the most marked characteristic of the buildings clustered behind them edith talbot intent on the pursuit of a woman so dramatically bound up with the mystery affecting her brother paid heed to no consideration save the paramount one that the hurrying figure in front must be kept in sight contrary to the opinions expressed by the two men mademoiselle beaucaire did not board a passing tramcar to edith's eyes she seemed to be eagerly watching for some person who might pass in one of the small open carriages which in marseilles take the place of the london hansom even as she rapidly walked down the crowded street mademoiselle closely scrutinized each vehicle that overtook her and once at a busy crossing she deliberately stopped edith of course slackened her pace and simultaneously she became aware how incongruous was her appearance at such an hour in such a thoroughfare much taller than the average frenchwoman neatly dressed in an english tailor-made costume with her smart straw hat and well-gloved hands miss talbot naturally attracted the curious gaze of the passers-by Instantly it occurred to her that some disguise was absolutely necessary if she would not court an attention fatal to her enterprise. It chanced that where she stood for a moment a fruit-seller occupied a tiny shop, squeezed tightly between a church and a restaurant. The interior was dark enough, for a couple of flaring naphtha lamps were so disposed as to cast their flickering brilliancy over the baskets of fruits and vegetables displayed in the window or crowded together on the pavement the woman inside had a kindly and contented face cherry-ripened cheek and lips and from a pair of deep-set blue eyes she looked out quizzically at the hurrying crowd 
assuring herself with one fleeting glance that la belle chasseuse still remained motionless and intent at the crossing edith darted into the shop she produced a sovereign i have not much french money she said hurriedly but this is worth twenty-five francs can you let me have a large dark shawl i do not care whether or not it is old and worn it is necessary that i should remain out for some few minutes longer and i do not wish to court observation even as she spoke she removed her straw hat and eagerly tore off her gloves the frenchwoman saw that one of her own sex english and consequently mad desired to screen her appearance from two inquisitive eyes it was sufficient for her that there should be a spice of romance in the quest with one hand she pocketed the sovereign with the other she dived into a recess beneath the counter and produced the very article edith wanted but certainly mademoiselle she cried see it will cover you to the waist edith advanced another pace into the darkest corner of the shop quickly arranged the shawl over her head and shoulders and hastily murmuring her thanks rushed forth into the street again leaving hat and gloves behind her in her haste the fruit-seller was far too wise a woman to call after the other and appraise her of the loss it must be serious this adventure she mused and yet the novelists say that the english are cold for me now i think that women are very much alike all over the world and with this bit of provencal philosophy she picked up the discarded articles and discovered to her joy that they must be worth at least ten francs thirty-five francs for an old shawl is a good night's work she murmured who could dream of such a fortune at this hour to-morrow i will buy a candle and place it in the church of notre dame de la garde meanwhile edith was just in time to see mademoiselle beaucaire either abandon her search or resolve it in some manner for the lady once more resumed her progress towards the old harbour in whose placid bosom could be seen the reflections of numberless lights from the small promontory beyond crowned with the fort st nicholas and the chateau du phare looking neither right nor left but hastening onwards with rapid strides mademoiselle crossed the rough pavement of the quai de la fraternité bearing away diagonally towards the left but if the frenchwoman was a good walker edith talbot was a better one and now that she no longer feared notice for she draped the long shawl as elegantly about her shoulders as any woman in marseilles she decided to adopt a little strategy instead of keeping directly behind mademoiselle she broke into a run under the shadow of the houses by thus making up ground she approached the narrow street towards which the frenchwoman was heading almost simultaneous with her quarry but apparently from an opposite direction the aspect of the thoroughfare through which the two women sped was forbidding in the extreme the houses were many stories in height of disreputable appearance and so close together on both sides that were other conditions equal an active man might easily spring from one room into another across the street 
the walls appeared to be honeycombed with doors and windows while an indescribable number of shutters balconies projecting poles and clothes-lines created such a medley in the darkness which was only made visible by a solitary bracket lamp that edith felt some anxiety as to whether or not she would be able to recognize the house into which mademoiselle disappeared should her destination be close at hand there were of course many other people in the street besides themselves else edith's self-imposed piece of espionage would have been rendered difficult if not impossible men women and children lounged about the doorways and kept up a constant cackle of conversation in a mysterious patois which miss talbot though an excellent french scholar could make nothing of the presence of these people naturally shielded her from the direct observation of la belle chasseuse but nevertheless threatened a slight danger should it be necessary for her to stand still for she well understood that in such a locality each person was known to the other and the loitering of a stranger could not fail to arouse curiosity soon after passing beneath the lamp mademoiselle vanished into a doorway edith perceived to her joy that at this point there was no group of loungers indeed for a few yards the street was empty keeping her eyes sedulously fixed upon the exact spot where the frenchwoman disappeared she reached the door and after a moment's hesitation stepped lightly into the interior darkness the narrow entrance was at once lessened to half its width by the staircase she listened intently and could hear the other woman ascending the second flight of stairs at the next landing mademoiselle paused and knocked three times presumably in reply to a question within she murmured something which edith could not catch and was at once admitted the shooting of a rusty bolt supplied further evidence that the door was locked behind her edith's next task was to identify the house she stepped out into the street again and crossed to the opposite pavement she looked up to the second story but owing to the short distance barely fourteen feet that separated her from the house she could discern nothing save that the windows on that floor were closely shuttered she rapidly noted that the door was the third removed from the lamp whilst wondering what to do next a couple of girls approached her they were young and of course inquisitive without any dissimulation they stood in front of her and scrutinized her face wondering no doubt who this tall and graceful newcomer could be what is your name said one where do you live have you just come here are you staying with old mother peter with difficulty edith caught the drift of their questions but she answered smilingly no i do not live here and i do not know mother peter but i want you to tell me who lives in the house opposite her parisian french greatly surprised the two girls who giggled at each other and one of them cried oh here's a lark but they scented an intrigue and were quite ready to give all the information in their power a lot of people live there said the elder one trying with the ready tact of her nation to accommodate her words to the understanding of the stranger 
it all depends who you want to know about on the ground floor is joseph the barber and his wife with three little ones it cannot be them i am sure and it cannot be monsieur ducroix who is their lodger for he is seventy years old and is sacristan in the church of the sacred heart then on the first floor there are three men not a woman amongst them one is a bill-sticker another a fisherman and the third a waiter in the cafe du midi i do not know their proper names we call the bill-sticker paste-pot and the fisherman crab the waiter is called thomas in the cafe but when a letter comes for him it is in another name then on the second floor uh, by the way marie who is it that lives on the second floor edith with difficulty restrained her excitement she felt that if only these youngsters rattled on a little longer she might gain some valuable information marie thus appealed to was evidently of a more cautious temperament than her companion if the young lady will tell us what she wants to know we may be able to help her she stipulated certainly cried edith instantly resolving to pursue the tactics of the penny novelette i have been deserted my lover has been taken away from me by another woman at least that is what i am informed i do not wish to make any trouble about it there are plenty as good men as he is left in the world but on the other hand i must not act unjustly i have been told that he lives in this house that he is living with her here at this moment in fact if i can make sure of it i will go away and never set eyes on him again unless by chance and then you may be sure i will take no notice of him i am not one of those silly girls who break their hearts over a faithless sweetheart marie was reassured i should think not she said with a sympathetic and defiant sniff i had the very same experience last sunday when philippe the grocer's boy at the corner you know walked along the corniche road with a chit of a girl out of a shop she thinks herself better than we are because she stands behind a counter and i am sure she made eyes at philippe one day when his master sent him there on an errand philippe must have bad taste broke in edith but i am sorry i must hasten away if you girls will tell me quickly all the other people that live in that house i will give you two francs each that is all the money i have got she produced the coins which she easily distinguished from the gold in her pocket by their size she knew that to appear too well supplied with money in that neighbourhood was to court danger if not disaster to her undertaking both girls eagerly seized the forty sous pieces oh on the second floor said marie i am afraid you will find your young man they are a funny couple that live there they only came here on monday when did your young man leave you i saw him on saturday where this was a poser but miss talbot answered desperately at lyon what is he like another haphazard shot he is tall and dark and oh so good-looking with a beautiful white skin and pink complexion that is he cried both girls together the scoundrel but tell me went on edith whose excitement was readily construed as the pangs of jealousy who is the creature that lives with him 
"'We think she is a musical artist,' replied Marie. "'At least, that is what the people say. I have not heard yet what hold she appears in. They say she is very pretty. Are you going to throw vitriol over her?' "'Not I,' said Edith, with a fine scorn. "'Do they live there alone?' "'Yes, quite alone. They rent the place from Père Didon. He owns most of the houses in this street, you know, and is a regular skinflint. He won't let anyone get behind with their rent for an hour. He is old, so old that you would not think that he could live another week, yet he is that keen after his faults you would imagine he was a young man anxious to get money for a gay life. You ought to have heard the row here last Saturday, when he turned the people out from their rooms where your lover now lives with his mistress. It was terrible. There was a poor woman with two sick children." How much further the revelations as to Père Didon's iniquity might have gone, Miss Talbot could not say, but at that moment there came an interruption. From the opposite doorway appeared the figure of Mademoiselle Beaucaire, carrying a small bag. She was followed by a man, tall, slight, and closely muffled up, who shouldered a larger portmanteau edith grabbed both the girls and pulled them close to her against the closed door behind them it is he she whispered tragically silence let us watch them the man darted a suspicious glance up and down the street there was no one whom even the clever henri dubois could construe as an enemy no one save some chattering marseillais loitering around their doorsteps and three girls huddled together in close conclave directly opposite thus reassured he strode after la belle chasseuse who cried out impatiently come quick henri what are you waiting for is his name henri whispered the awe-stricken marie yes isn't he a villain i wonder where they are going now let us follow them and see suggested marie yes let us follow them and see chimed in the other one who delighted in this nocturnal romance it was a veritable page out of one of paul de Kock's novels the programme suited miss talbot exceedingly well they strolled off down the street nestling together edith in the centre and keeping the shrouded couple in front well in sight this time when mademoiselle beaucaire and her companion reached the point where the street emerged on the harbour they did not cross over towards the broad and brilliant lighted cannebiere but hurried on through the darkness in the direction of a cluster of fishing smacks that lay alongside the quai de rive neuve my faith eugenie cried marie they must be going on board of one of the vessels what a lark was the answer i suppose they fear you she added turning her sharp eyes on edith what is your name lucille came the answer on the spur of the moment lucille what lucille beauharnais my gracious cried eugenie what a swell name oh let us hurry interrupted miss talbot desperately you girls know everybody you must know all the vessels if they are going on a boat and you will find out the name and number for me i will give each of you a whole louis i will give them to you now i-i mean that is if you will walk with me afterwards to my lodgings 
even amidst the exciting circumstances surrounding her edith recognized the absolute necessity there was to maintain the credibility of her previous narrative unquestionably dubois and the lady intended to embark on one of the fishing-boats they hastened to the further end of the harbour through whose tiny entrance edith could now see the dark waters of the bay beyond for the night was beautifully clear and fine and the bright stars of the south lent some radiance to the scene when the girls quitted the deep shadow of the houses a solitary boat a decked fishing smack of some forty tons was lying by the side of the quay apart from the others edith who knew something about yachting recognized that her gearing was not fastened in the trim manner suggestive of a craft laid by for the night at the same instant too she caught sight of a third form that of a man who had been seated on a fixed capstan and who now strode forward to peer at the newcomers some few words passed between the three but it was impossible for the girls to hear a syllable instantly the sailor assisted dubois and mademoiselle beaucaire to step down from the quay on board the smack he followed them and three other men who appeared out of the chaos of sails and ropes commenced to labour with the large pole in order to shove the sturdy vessel out into the harbour quick murmured edith in an agony lest the opportunity should slip tell me what vessel it is i think said marie it is the belle sœur anyhow we can easily make it certain all we have to do is to go back around the top of the harbour walk down the quai du port and watch her as she passes under the lighthouse of the fort st jean they will hoist her sail then and we shall see her number oh come cried edith let us run we can run if you like replied marie coolly but there is no need they have to get out by using the sweeps and we will be underneath the lighthouse at least a minute or two before they pass even if we walk slowly whilst they were talking the three girls put their words into practice and edith found herself battling with a logical dilemma dubois was evidently escaping from france making out from marseilles at this late hour on a vessel capable of sailing to almost any point of the mediterranean what could she do was it possible to invoke the aid of a policeman and get some authority to hail the craft and order her to return or was there time to take a cab in the cannabiere to drive furiously to the hotel where brett fairholme and her brother must be anxiously awaiting her return rapidly as these alternatives suggested themselves she dismissed them it was best to fall in with marie's suggestion and ascertain beyond doubt the identity of the fishing smack then at any rate brett would have a tangible and definite clue so she hastened with her companions along the three sides of the now almost deserted quay and in accordance with the prediction of her youthful guides she reached the promenade beyond the small lighthouse of the inner port before the vessel had quitted the harbour to move a forty-ton boat with oars is a slow matter at the best as the craft came creeping steadily through the narrow channel edith saw to her great relief that two of the men drew in their sweeps and commenced to haul upon ropes whilst the clanking and groaning of pulleys 
heralded the slow rising of the mainsail she thought the sail would never climb up in time but as it began to yield to the steady pull of the man it mounted more and more rapidly and at last feeling the influence of a gentle breeze blowing off the land it shook out its cumbrous folds and the number stood clearly revealed in huge white letters on the dark brown canvas at first in her eagerness she could hardly discern it save a big m and r there cried eugenie bubbling over with excitement there it is m r one hundred and seven marseilles number one hundred and seven you know why isn't that jacques le bon's boat she demanded from her companion yes it is said marie and there is jacques himself standing by the tiller edith's eyes were now becoming accustomed to the night and the dancing water where are the others she said i cannot see them there is no one standing on the deck but the sailors oh they have gone below i expect said the practical marie they will be in the way of the sails you know there is not much room for people who don't work on the deck of a small ship like that besides they don't want to be seen if a customs officer or a harbour official were to notice the boat now he would think that le bon was going out fishing for the night but he would be sure to wonder what was happening if he caught sight of a woman on board funny isn't it she rattled on that jacques should be called le bon for he is the worst man in marseilles they say that his ugly grin when he draws a knife would frighten anybody End of chapter fifteen